0: Um, if, if you got a a bulletin, which I apologize if it's kind of nasty and messed up, the printer is, um, not printing as clean as it should right now, but, um, there is a, there's a new pastor's pen in, uh, the bulletin and, uh, it's telling brother Butch that, uh, the, the theme this year is kind of taking on its, its, its own, Uh, essence, you might say, uh, as a whole. It wasn't originally intended, but um, after introducing our theme for this year, which is on the front of the bulletin for such a time, um, after doing that last month, and then the pastor's pen that I put together and put in there for you... By the way, that's in there for you to read, okay? Um, If you don't read it, it does no good. But uh, the pastor's pen that I put in and, and, and all... Last month was uh, was faith for such a time, um, and then this being our missions conference month and time frame, where we would really begin to 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 just focus in and bring bring everything to a a, a magnification of uh, of missions, getting missionaries around the world. What does the Lord want me to do? Uh, in, in the next year, from, from March this year through February of next year, what would the Lord have me to do um, to help get missionaries around the world uh, to see uh, those of us as a church body be able to, to maybe even do more, support maybe some new missionaries, add to our missions family uh, of getting the gospel. And by the way, um, for such a time, because time is short, there's not much time left Uh, How much more time do we have to get missionaries to places where maybe some folks have not even heard a clear presentation of the gospel? And um, what drives us as God's people to want to get the gospel to people maybe we have never even seen and you never will get to see, or even next door to people that you see more than you wish you had to. Oh, come on, y'all, y'all don't look at me all pious like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, we have people around us that, that it frustrate us. But as a whole, what, what drives the child of God to, to get the gospel to those who need it? What drives the child of God to want to help individuals in their struggle, what drives the child of God to not um, let? This is a joke. God, I gotta preface that. What drives the child of God to not want to kill somebody because of how frustrating the situation gets? I mean, what? What? Let me, now, let me go back to the reality of it, not the joke. But what drives us to handle ourselves? as we were looking at our Sunday school class this morning, with those that oppose us, but handle ourselves according to the Scripture and not according to the flesh. What drives the child of God to be a true Christian, a true Christ-like one? What drives us? Well, um, the the pastor's pen, uh, I believe, for this month is uh, is... A big key to that driving to that to what what puts the fuel uh, in the tank for us and that's compassion if we don't have compassion we will care less about people around the world and trying to help missionaries get there with the gospel if we don't have compassion we'll care less about our neighbors and and all that that live around us and people we see in town if we don't have compassion I'm not talking about ooey gooeyness. I'm saying compassion, genuine compassion. Then may I say, if you don't have a proper compassion in your life for people, then you will be all about yourself and about no one else. I would care about you, but it doesn't benefit me. I would care about your need, but it doesn't benefit me. I would help, but how much am I getting paid? That's not compassion. That's selfishness. And may I say, that is the natural tendency of the flesh, even of a child of God. So how is it that we are going to accomplish and be effective in this life that we have left for such a time? How are we going to be effective in today's culture? In today's atmosphere, with today's society, with today's frustrations, how am I going to be effective? It's going to have to be through compassion. Compassion as we see even by Christ. And so I want to take you this morning and I want to look as we start February, one month already gone Feels like, it feels like we, we're still getting ready to enter 2024. <laughs> we're already one month gone. But now we're in the month of February, best month in the entire year. Because it's my birthday, that's right. <laughs> but uh, best month in the entire year, I, I like February. February's a good month. Uh, a lot of good people are born in February. No, a lot of good people I know were born in February. Okay, but, uh, but moving on, moving on. All right, now get your laugh, okay? It's okay to laugh in church. But, um, but we, we want to look at, at this idea of compassion. Most times when you look at February, people will love, 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 love. Okay, love is great, and we talked about love in our Sunday school class. It just happened to fall in, in that. But, uh, but biblical love as far as how, how to love others, but uh, as a whole, The understanding of genuine love, a godly love, a love that can be shown to anyone under any condition, regardless of what's going on around around you in the situation, the environment. Genuine love can only be accomplished through a word called compassion. It's a tenderness, a softness, not a weakness. A tenderness and a softness to be sensitive to the situations, conditions, and needs of others. Even others that we don't necessarily mesh with. We do more clashing than meshing. You can still be compassionate. I don't have to, I I said it in Sunday school, but I'll say it here. I don't have to agree with somebody to still be compassionate. I don't have to favor their lifestyle to still be compassionate. I don't have to follow and and align with and make them feel good about the actions in their life to be compassionate. My compassion can still be present even if we're in opposition of thought or action. And, and that is what we find here in where we're going to turn. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse number 12. This is an account, a genuine, real account of something that took place. And again, sometimes you have to remind people today, the Bible is not a fairy tale full of fictional stories. It does have some parables Jesus himself spoke parables. Parables were were earthly style, understandable stories with a heavenly meaning. All right? When Jesus told a parable, at some point along the line, you probably would have seen what he was discussing and what he used as an illustration. You would have seen that play out somewhere. but he wasn't necessarily speaking of an actual event that he has seen or has just happened, but he's speaking in an event that you more than likely you would find amongst men, mankind, but this event that is believable and understandable as to what it means has a heavenly purpose of, of application. That's what a parable is. Now this that we're about to read is not a parable. This is an actual account of something that truly happened while Jesus walked this earth, while Christ was in his ministry and he was dealing with some very self-righteous Pharisees trying to corner him and trick him so as to get people to see him as a heretic. They could not contain him so they figured they would just try to make sure that he, they would bait him to ruin and, and, and cause trouble with his own reputation. They thought they could trick him into destroying the fact that people wanted to follow him. Well, the thing is, Christ being God in the flesh, he was uh, wise to their purpose, not of mind, but even of heart, <laughs> So he understood what they were going to do. He understood why they were doing it. And, uh, and there were times when he didn't even answer them right away with words. And we see that right here. Look, in, if you would, with me, John chapter 8, verse number 1 down to verse number 12. The Bible says, uh, Jesus went uh, unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and, sat, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery even in the very act. By the way, understand, really for them to to catch her in that way, um, they had to have spies watching a situation. Or very possibly, they they had baited her so as to use her as a way to bait Christ into an argument or into a wrong way of handling things. And so, understand, um, she has made a bad decision. She has sinned in adultery. But understand, she already at this point, and I'm not qualifying or justifying her actions, but understand the situation. At this point, she is already a victim of evil men's process of trying to control a situation. Her wrongdoing is not removed, but they have sought her out. They have somehow, some way, found a way to catch her not just the fact that she had committed it they caught her in the very act which means they knew it was happened they knew what was going on they busted in and drug her out okay you don't get that lucky that's planned which means that she is a victim of an adversary and she has fallen prey to the temptations And they're trying to make her pay for it. Now watch. Verse number five, they begin to now try to educate Jesus to bait him. So they bring her, caught her in adultery, and in the very act of it. And then they say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now get this, if Jesus sides with them, their attempt to catch her, their attempt to use her is now going to cost her her life. And the Bible tells us their purpose. Verse number six, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. In other words, they're going to accuse him of murder. They're going to accuse him of wrongdoing. If he was to answer wrongly, but it says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Verse number seven. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. Jesus really didn't have to say much at all. At least the individuals who were doing this still had a conscience. It might have been somewhat seared to be able to get to this point, but there was still enough that Christ knew I'm about to go ahead and and peg that one area of your conscience that's still sensitive. Says that the ones that were that were convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Oh, by the way, don't forget there is a crowd around watching the entire scenario. So it says Jesus standing alone doesn't mean he's alone and it's just him and this woman that was caught in adultery. We're dealing with Jesus standing alone. There's nobody else that was involved directly with what was going on. Everyone else that's there is a spectator. And they're all still watching. And so... As, as they left, Jesus there alone with the woman, as far as the only two left in this entire scenario, everybody else watching, verse number 10 says, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want to to bring this morning this thought from this passage, the power of compassion. Okay, the power of compassion. Let me pray and then I'm going to give you these just few thoughts very quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for all that we've been able to, to do together, the fellowship, the singing. Lord, thank you for the special that, that Libby sang The question, Do they see Jesus in me? Lord, as we look at this truth concerning the need of compassion and the power behind it, would you help us to have a desire that the world around us see Jesus in me by me acting like my Savior and not like the flesh would have me to act when it comes to dealing with people? Would you, would you give us this truth? Would you help us to let it sink within our, deep within our hearts and our minds that we would understand what genuine right compassion is and see how you used compassion to make a difference in the life of even this individual. I pray that you uh, Lord just help us give us what we need we'll trust you for it and give you the honor and glory for it all we ask it in Christ's name Amen Now we understand as we if you read and again it, it kind of goes without saying it's nothing it's nothing really big and like wow but As a whole, when you read the account of the the ministry of of Christ himself, you find him as an individual, uh, you know, God in the flesh, yes, but you find him as a leader of men, 12 that followed, but many others. Those were apostles. There's a difference between apostles and disciples. Christ had many disciples, the people followed him. People sought after what, what it was that was different about him. But as a whole, he had compassion for the saved, but dealing with those that would believe in him, those that followed. He had compassion for the lost, the nice, the mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Y'all got, it, y'all got that reference, right? Okay, But as a whole... It did not matter the condition of the individual, even the Pharisees. You say, but he was pretty mean to the Pharisees. Yeah, he was, but he didn't stop his compassion. He was straightforward. He was blunt. He called them whited sepulchers with dead men's bones, serpents. He even chased them out of the temple with a whip, with money changers and all the things going on. I and mean, he he was not a weakling he was very strong very adamant about truth and right but even when he spoke to those in the wrong he was not without compassion he hated the sin but don't forget before his time is done he will die for the individual. And so his compassion is what drove him. And, and, and that compassion, as our Savior, we see him in the example we are to follow. He has always moved with compassion for people, whether facing an individual or even entire crowds. Uh, and, and in the bulletin there at the very bottom, I would encourage you, uh, go and look up. Uh, Matthew nine thirty six, Matthew fourteen fourteen, Matthew fifteen thirty two, Matthew twenty thirty four, Mark 1.41, Mark five nineteen, Mark eight two, Mark nine twenty through twenty seven, Luke seven thirteen. I mean, just over and over and over and over and over. The Bible says that he had compassion. He had compassion. He had compassion and forgave. He had compassion and healed. He had compassion and fed them. So he had compassion dealing with the the emotional status of men. He had compassion dealing with the physical status of men. He had compassion dealing with the spiritual status of men. He had compassion on mankind. May I say, we say, well, we're to be like Christ. That's right, be like Christ. And somehow we justify ourselves when we have hatred. Hold on a second. I'm not saying agree with everybody. I'm not saying just whitewash and do do away with truth so we can all be together and just, you know, kumbaya, gather around a fire. No. You don't have to agree with somebody's Premise of life, or that somebody's actions in life, or somebody's uh, beliefs in any aspect of life—you don't have to agree. If it doesn't agree with truth, I am going to agree with truth over the individual. However, I don't have to agree to stay compassionate about the individual. Matter of fact, the more error they have, the more compassionate I should be, and broken-hearted about the fact that they are in darkness and don't know truth. as a whole, the compassion that Christ showed, it it, it teaches us three things about compassion as a whole. Here's the first, moving right on in. The power of compassion. The power of compassion is that it's focused on change and not condemnation. True compassion is focused on change and not condemnation. Verse 4 and verse 9 and verse 11. Let, let me read these together out of our passage here. It says they They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery even in the very act. Verse 9, And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, the woman caught in the act, they all come. Jesus is riding on the ground, speaks unto them. You, hey, if you're without sin, cast your first stone. You go right ahead. Now, what was Christ riding on the ground? We don't know. By the way, um, I could be wrong, so I, I just I'll put that out there. I'm not gonna say it dogmatically, but I think I don't watch this series. I watched one little. I watched a few pieces of it, and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. It just there were some things that were intriguing, and there were some things that I just. I made me sick to my stomach because it's Hollywood. And they, they mess everything up trying to make it what they want it to be. But um, there is a series called The Chosen. And I remember catching a clip of one. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm remembering right, I remember catching a clip, and if I'm remembering right, in this scenario, this story, Jesus knelt, and he was riding, and he would look up at somebody. And he'd ride, and he'd look up at somebody. And he'd ride and he'd look up at somebody. Hold on a second. Did the Bible say that? The Bible says that he was riding and they all disappeared. And when he finally stood up, he looked and no one was there. Jesus never looked up. Matter of fact, the only reason he responded to them halfway through all of that is because they kept saying, what would you do? What would you do? Come on, what would you do? Come on, you gotta tell us. What are you, what are you gonna do? Come on, what are you gonna do? What would you do? Shouldn't she be stoned? Come on. And he's writing and they're just on him, on him, on him, on him, on him. Finally, he says, all right, all right. Ye that is without, uh, without sin, cast the first stone. And he went right back down to writing. Bible never says he looked up. The only time he looked up is when he finished whatever he was writing. He stood up and they were all gone. And the only one there left to talk to was her. Now, that's the Bible. Man likes to to design things the way we would have done it. Um, But that's not necessarily the way Christ did it. And so I say all that to, uh, to understand that the the focus here, as Jesus is dealing, the woman is brought, she's brought by those, I believe, that entrapped her to use her, and they fully intended to stone her if they had the chance, and they would use it to condemn Christ so that everybody would turn their back from him. And yet what they did is, they brought her And they said, by the law, she's condemned. She's condemned. Jesus began to write, and then he spoke up when they nagged and pushed. And he said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. In other words, be the first one to cast a stone. Go ahead. Which one is, is sinless? And then he began to write some more. Was he writing just a variety of sins? I, I remind you, he is God in the flesh. He was fully aware. He did not give up all of of uh, the aspects of who he was. There were things that he knew. There were things as God he was privy to. He was aware of that man would not have the the power and ability to do. He's still God. There were some aspects of of of. of what he had in in, in his abilities as God that he did set aside and he would have to in order to die for mankind. He had the right to call angels and deliver him from evil men. But he set that aside. But there are some things he didn't set aside and his ability to know the heart of man was one of them. He knew what they were doing And he knew that their purpose was condemnation. But he also knew their faults. Could it be that he was just not writing names, he was just writing actions of men that would be great sin? And the conscience of the individual saying, that one's mine. How does he know that? Oh, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. That's just one good guess. Good. Oh, that's another one. Oh, he just keeps going. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Okay. I don't know. Nobody can, nobody can say dogmatically what he was writing. Maybe he was just writing scripture. Maybe he was writing other known scripture. They loved picking out the ones that favored them. They loved ignoring the ones that didn't. Maybe he was just writing because you say it would be it would be in line with what he normally did even when Satan tempted him. What did he he answer Satan with? Scripture. It is written. Maybe he's just writing. You know, they say, Moses said, and so he says he's go down, it is written, and he writes a few other things. It is written and he writes a few other things. All of a sudden, the scripture they know begins to bring about a conviction of, yeah, I'm guilty of that one. That's my fault. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But regardless, the difference between the individuals bringing the woman and the one they brought her to, the difference is judgment versus condemnation. The righteous judge, judging a situation, was her sin under judgment? Yes. But the only ones condemning her were those who were already condemned themselves as well. There's a difference between judgment and condemnation. Judgment Righteous judgment, by the way, which we are told is possible. John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgments. How do, uh, do we or anybody, how, how is it that we can judge righteous judgments? You don't judge according to how you feel about what it appears to be. You don't judge according to how, how you, you think things are going. Every judgment has to be according to truth. Herein is righteousness found in God's word because it's from God. He is righteous, thus his word is righteous. The truth you find from the word of God gives us the guideline, the baseline of that which is right and that which is Wrong. So when I look and say that an individual is living a life that is not in agreement with righteousness, it is not in agreement with the, the, the way that God teaches that we should live, where does that come from? My personal opinion, the way I feel about them? No, it must come from truth. The Word of God has said. Therefore, I can say... In judging the situation, it does not line up with God's word. Righteous judgment. It has no business being, it does not line up with the way I feel about it. It does not line up with, with, uh, with my personal opinions. It has nothing to do with that. Does it line up with Scripture? That is the only way that I can judge righteously. But there's a big difference between judging or discerning a situation in comparison to Scripture and condemning an individual. I remind you, every single one of us are condemned. Sin has condemned all men. Why is it that Jesus had to come, God in the flesh, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God? Because, again, I remind you, as a child of God, I am also a son. I am just not the begotten Son. I am the adopted. But Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, was born. Why? Because man is condemned. The fact that Jesus speaks in this way as he does in this story shows us us in the situation here there's two mindsets going on. The ones who bring the woman to him are all about condemnation. And Jesus is about righteous judgment and change. Say, how do you know that? It's pointed out in verse number 7 and verse number 11. Understand, Jesus did not differ in the judgment of her action. He did not say, she's done no wrong. He did not say, why are are y'all picking on this woman? Let her alone. Her life is her own. She can make her own decisions. Who are you to tell her that she can't do that? He does not say that. He makes the same judgment concerning the wickedness of the actions. But he did not condemn as they were attempting to condemn. The action is wrong. The adultery is wrong. It is sin according to the word of God. Therefore, it has already been judged as wrong. However, they wanted her to pay a price, condemnation. But here's what Jesus did. Instead of wanting to condemn her and doom her, he wanted her to see change. By the way, I don't have to raise your hand. This is just a a, a general question just for thought. But can anybody here raise your hand and say, I've never sinned. I've never thought one bad thought about somebody. I've never said one, one wrong crossword with anybody. I never took cookies out of the cookie jar and when I wasn't supposed to, right? There's not a single one of us in here that can say I am without fault. And that's what Jesus knew about these individuals. That's why he said, let him that is without sin. In another passage of scripture, dealing with the same account, but in a, in a different way, different, uh, uh, well, same, same um, um, uh, story that took place, the, the same account of, of what happened with this woman, but a different viewpoint. It is said as though, it, it, that he said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. The reason no one could cast a stone is because when they began to examine themselves, they realized I am condemned as much as she is. Condemnation helps nobody but understanding truth and seeing change in an individual's life. Well, that is helpful. Verse number seven, we see here, as Jesus said, let it without sin cast that first stone. But verse number 11, look what he says to her. Then she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, so he he asked, "Where where, where, where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? In the verse prior, she said, No man, Lord, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. There's the difference. He didn't say, Neither do I think you did wrong. He didn't say that. She knows she did wrong. He knows she did wrong. Everyone knows she did wrong. According to Scripture. But he says, go and sin no more. I'm not going to cast a stone. If there is one person who had the right to throw a stone and take her life, it was Jesus. The only one in the entire crowd right there that was without sin was Jesus. But he said, I don't condemn you. I just tell you, go and sin no more. Let this be the time frame that your eyes are opened, you see truth, you see light, and you don't go back to the darkness. That because, how how do you know? I'm not getting very far here, but I got to hurry. You know because the very next verse, immediately Jesus looks to the crowd. By the way, they're still there. They're still watching. They're still observing. Jesus looks at the crowd Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What was he saying? This is what I'm here for. To bring light to those in darkness. To give truth to those lost in error. To find those that are already condemned in sin And to show them that it's not about condemnation, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, was she condemned? By sin, she was already condemned. Yes. But was Jesus there to cast the stone? No. He was there to show compassion on the sinner while teaching the sinner to forsake sin and follow me. The next thing, so the focus their compassion, its power is, it's focused on change and not condemnation. By the way, I will say this and I'm going to move on. You look out in this world, you leave the, By the fact, just look around, all right? Look, look at the people around you. Not me, look at each other. But you look at the people around you. You can find fault in every single one of us. I could condemn every single one of you with something. And every single one of you could condemn me with something. If we're all about condemnation, we're not going very far. We're just going to start fist fighting. But if I can get to the mindset of Christ, I'm not going to excuse sin, but I am going to say there's hope for the sinner. Even the child of God that's struggling with sin, by the way, what's the message? There is hope for the one who's failed. You're not condemned. You're done. You're finished. God can't do nothing with you. Might as well leave. We don't want you around here. That's condemnation. It's not about condemnation. It is, yeah, that's not right. You and I both know it's wrong. According to the Scripture, But there is hope. In the Savior you've trusted in for your salvation and your eternity, he is present, ever present, to help you in time of need to deal with the struggle of sin on a regular basis. Without him I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ. What is that? That is, that is saying, hey, let me, let, me, let me shine some light on a very condemning situation. Instead of condemning, let's shine some light for change. And then go forward and be like Christ. Uh, so the focus is on change, not condemnation, but then just very quickly... The power of condemnation is that it stays faithful to truth. Now, I've already dealt with some of this in what I've said a little bit, so I'm not going to go too far with it. But it stays faithful to truth. What did Jesus do? Did he leave truth to make her feel better? No. He, he stayed true to truth. But the problem was those who came condemning and trying to, to use her to trick him, they weren't about truth. They were only about condemnation. They weren't about, the truth was, they were all guilty. The truth was, they should all be stoned. Matter of fact, in Bible times, even if they were rebellious and talked back to their parents, they would be stoned. We have a lot, lot fewer kids today, based on those, those, that premise. But here's the thing. I guarantee you, every single one of them had some fault somewhere that would have been righteously condemned in, that, in, in their mindset to a justification of stoning. You deserve to die. And by the way, that is truth. We deserve to die. Because of sin, I deserve to die and be separated from a holy God. But because of a Savior, he came not to condemn, but to bring life. He even said, I didn't go there, but John 3, 16 through 19 talks about that. You can go look it up. But he talks about how he did not come into the world. The Son of God did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world is already condemned. It didn't need double condemning. It's already condemned. There needed to be hope. There needed to be a possibility and a chance for change by trusting in Christ. But compassion stays faithful to truth. I can be a genuine, now again, some people misuse compassion and they do a whitewash of everything and they just, oh, we're just going to show compassion. It's okay. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's okay. We're just going to love everybody. That's not compassion. That's a misuse of love. It's a false sense of love. And we talked about it in Sunday school. A parent does not love their child when they let their child do anything they want to. A parent loves their child when they correct their child. Bible says, if you won't correct them, you hate them. You correct because you're trying to help them get on the right path. If I don't care about them, do whatever you want. Destroy yourself. That's fine. That would be a hateful mentality. A loving mentality is I'm going to have to tell you truth. But I got to tell you with the right heart, right attitude. I got to tell you with compassion. But, tr- but compassion stays faithful to what is true. Compassion keeps us from being blinded by pride, tradition, anger, hate, malice, or even our personal opinion that causes animosity with others. It is only through genuine Christ-like compassion that I can stand on truth, but stand in a Christ-like love. Because the power of compassion is it keeps a proper focus on change and not condemnation, but it helps me stay faithful to truth and not allowing and enabling people to live in sin and saying, well, I just don't want to tell them because I might hurt their feelings. If they don't know that they're condemned by sin, And sin will keep them separated from God unless it's forgiven by God himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. If they don't know and I have the message and I don't share it, what greater evidence is there that I have no compassion, I actually hate mankind, if I have truth of hope and I say, but I'm not giving it to you. People say that that Christians hate individuals because they tell them what the Bible says concerning sin, and it's actually just the opposite. Can you say it in the wrong way? Yes, you can. But the Bible teaches us tell, speaking the truth in love. What is that? Compassion. Here's the last thing. We're done. Compassion also produces a fruit that continues. When it came to this woman here uh, that was condemned, Jesus said, Go and sin no more. Then he follows with, uh, they, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That is a continual hope. That is a continual thing. He tells her, Go and sin no more. What he's saying is, you know who your faith needs to be in. You know who your trust needs to be in. You know that you, you're worthy of condemnation, but I will not condemn if, if you will follow and you will give your place, your life in me and let me guide you. I am the light of life. And that's why he turns to everybody and says, listen, if you'll follow me, I just got a hint through that that she made a decision that this individual is the man I'm going to follow with the rest of my life. This is the one I'm going to trust in. This is the individual that, that that I'm going to place myself in. Now watch, I got a hint on that because Jesus turns to everybody else and says, by the way, here's the lesson. The lesson is I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but how, shall have the light of life. Who was the example of what he was speaking of? The one that was just brought into the condemnation, but yet Jesus spoke and said, I do not condemn thee, go and sin no more. I just got an idea that he, he used that entire situation to point to them and say, and if you'll do likewise, I am the light you need. It produces a fruit that continues. Jude 1.22, which is our verse that is for missions conference. And of some have compassion making a difference. Some, you can be blunt, you can be fiery, you can be, I mean, you can just go at it. And Boy, that's what they need. Some need compassion to get truth across. Ephesians four fifteen through 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And that word love there is dealing with compassion. One for another. Last verse we're finished First John 3:17 through18. But whoso hath this world's goods uh, good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him. how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Power of compassion is it can stay focused on change and not condemnation. Power of compassion is it stays faithful to what is true and not whitewashing truth in order to make people feel accepted. It stays faithful to truth, but they can still feel accepted. And then the power of compassion is it produces a fruit that continues. Compassion produces something in us that continues and it can help produce something in others that can continue. If we don't learn to have the compassion of Christ in the day and age we live in today, in the way society is today, you and I will disdain every person we see. We will just I'll puke on them. Be sick to your stomach looking at certain people. Oh, they just my stomach. The sin is already condemned. My job is not to say, to, to remind them how condemned they are. My job is to share with them truth according to proper judgment From the word of God, not from me, from the word of God. But to show them compassion that there is hope to go and sin no more. Without compassion, we cannot be effective the way God intends his people to be effective in getting the light of life to men in darkness. People need to see the compassion with truth of God's people. Let's learn to have that compassion and let it draw us to do that which we've been left here to do in the time for such a time as this that we live today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can see accounts.